I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 27th of September, 2020. We're going through an incredible war. This is only part of a very, very long-term war, and you've been living in a a good part of it since you were born. So were your parents. Long-term agendas. But right now they're stepping it up with all the cons out there. And yeah, the very few. You understand, I, even with the political schemes and so on that go on, I'm, I'm very skeptical. I think many of them are really just playing their parts as actors because the overall agenda, the strategy and the dialectic is to get the, the synthesis out of the, the two, uh, the thesis and its counter and antithesis. The two sides or whatever, of every, every side of every story, two sides. And then the resulting synthesis from the arguments or fighting and what goes on. And then it starts all over again using the synthesis is the new thesis, you see. And that's Trotskyism as well as Marxism and Trotskyism for those who don't understand it. And it works very, very well for those who control it all because you're in a game, a big massive game on the general public of the planet. And before we've seen it, we've, we've seen decades of, uh, especially in the U.S., uh, same in Britain too, really, where you can't tell the difference really between the parties when they're in, because they're all they're all being vetted by the same authorities to get in in the first place, all the leaders. And they're all members of the Council on Foreign Relations, or in Britain, they're all Royal Institute of International Affairs, same in Australia. And uh, New Zealand, India as well. So you're living through a, a prefixed um, and preordained agenda, including elections. And when you when you vote you, for people to come in, a new party to come in, it's not because you really believe in them. You've just lost faith in the one you voted in the last time. As the same old, same old has happened, and the same old wars continue or revamped. And the same funding goes into everything from the taxpayer to pay for all. And you never get anything from, out of these wars. As most folk can't figure out why you have them in the first place. They can't even give you half-decent lies from propaganda uh, to justify the wars. Because they're not for you, obviously. You have to pay for all and supply the material and the, the, the bodies that come home in the body bags sometimes. So you're in a big, big agenda. So I don't fall you know, for, for politics and uh, I don't believe either that you, you, you vote for the lesser of the two evils. If they're evil, they're evil, and you're not going to win. Uh, it's not going to be a benefit you anyway. Um, so the lesser of the two evils. It's an old strategy that's used by those who really control everything uh, to paint one really awful and the other one is, is, is pretty well bad, but and you'll do this, this, and this, but at least you might get that out of it. That's how you fall for these things. And that's not what politics is supposedly about at all. And apart from that, you're run by massive, massive organizations. The tax-free, the tax-exempt foundations. Again, you have to go back into a lot of the origins of them. Back into the 19th century as well. And even before that, you know. Because even under Weishaupt, in his day, he wasn't the first one to do it. But he talks about how they would take over the nations by uh, demo, demo, well, a form of democracy, but really through think tanks, he says, you know, and, and, and foundations, charitable. Who's going to complain about charity? Oh, it's for this, this. And you, you believe, oh, that's nice. You have no idea what's really going on. And you see the massive funding they collect, and, and it's tax-free. And these big foundations can invest across the world and still claim it's tax-free when they bring in billions of dollars a year. Well, how can any democracy function when certain people have armies within your country, all funded by these certain peoples, you know, all published, and you know it's all public too. You can't mention some of them because you're you're cut off immediately. It's forbidden or verboten, as Newt Gingrich said, who was cut off in the middle of a, a talk on Fox News because he mentioned a name which you can't mention, even though it's all verified as factual, you know. You look it up and you look at the society that he runs and this is all this money to these different groups. And some of them are classed as, as terrorist groups across the world, color revolutions and so on. CIA, it's all one organization obviously running everything. 
And uh, but the thing is, yeah, the big foundations really give a lot of information out. Many, many, you know, years ago, I say far as far back as what you saw up to then later. I think even in um, the 19th century, Gilbert and Sullivan, uh, in one of their, their operas, their comic operas, had um, a song in it about the philanthropist, you know, and a nosy busybody trying to get in and get money off everyone. And he knew everything about everybody too. It was also an incentive, almost like a, a little hint or a wink at blackmail if they didn't comply and, and did, donate cash to the causes that he planned. So this is an old idea. And when you find uh, the people that they set up as multi, the front people, uh, and this is how it's really done. People are set up as, as fronts for companies and organizations. It might be real companies, massive companies that are set up, but you'll never get to the bottom of who really owns them. Even the CIA owns some huge, massive, real corporations, and so does, obviously, the groups behind uh, London, the city of London as well, and behind MI6 and MI5. Because that's the real system you're living under. It's a, a very private system, Owned by very old organizations and they bring in some new ones as they go along and some of them change their names like a chameleon as they go along too to throw the folk off. They get, they get a bad name on something. They can, they can apparently close down it, but they'll, they'll re-emerge under a different name, you see. And that's how it's really done. They give you the front people, the self-made people, you know, the sudden whiz kids and things like that, that you all believe all this guff that they give you to believe in. To give a legitimacy to the to the lie of who they really are, but they're they're, they're well paid for the rest of their lives too. They were taken care of, and they'll be the fronts for one big organisation generally. But they're they're they really are. Let's take Epstein. Epstein was a front man. You know, you just do you really believe it's just a horny guy huh, with a lot of money? Do you really believe that absolute nonsense? And how quickly this died off. They didn't go into these handler above them too. Very taboo. And, and arrangements had to be made with the CIA and, and governments to, to cash it all up, etc. That's what they do. They, they, they launch people and they, they make them stars in a certain field. And they're really there for different purposes. And um, you'll find, as I say, that Facebook's an obvious one. And other ones before too. And definitely, I can remember that they had a Google many years ago talking about working with uh, GCHQ in Britain, for instance. Well, of course, it's because they're an arm of it, really, uh, or, or they're a part of the intelligence system and, and the intelligence, and that they're part of the massive economic system because lots of information came out years later, uh, over the years, actually, which was inevitable, too, of what they did to begin with, which was their, their way ahead of investments, to get all the data of communications about investments, and uh, they, make sh- they can actually sway investments that way, too. Who's going to crash, who's going to rise, etc. It's, it's just so corrupt, you know. But you're supposed to believe in all is above board and your governments are above board. And, and who, who can really believe that in this day and age? Hmm? Does anybody really believe it? Hmm? I mean, does anybody really think they, they even, that people actually run their, like an individual, like Boris Johnson runs the country? Do you really believe that? Or even Donald Trump running the US? Do you really believe that one guy? The deep state isn't just the one and the swamp that they're draining. It's, it's, it's above and below and to the side of them. That's how the things really are. It's, it's, uh, most of it's illusion, you know. But the big foundations, I've mentioned it before, where at least the U.S. did make an attempt in 1950s, and actually earlier too, but in the 1950s, I think it was, they had Norman Dodds, go around the foundations with a commission, the Rees Commission, you know, to find out why the these foundations in the U.S., the, the, the branches inside the U.S., like the Ford and the, the Carnegie and um, Rockefeller, etc., why they were funding what seemed to be the radical left that was wanting to tear America down. So here were the richest people at the top who, who began these foundations. Again, front people like the Rockefeller family, you know, who meant, again, to take over all resources. 
They're still on the go yet, the same, or, or not just them, but a hu- the huge organization to which they were a part of. They're still on the go. Take all resources over and bring society into a workable size for function and purpose. And uh, it hasn't stopped. It's still on the go today, just the same kind of thing. So anyway, again, you look up Norman Dodd and his interviews on his surprise and shock when he talked to some of the heads of these these philanthropic organizations. And I think it was the Ford Foundation that wasn't run by Ford at that time either. It was afterwards. And that's how quickly they had taken over uh, by the same group, I think, that ran maybe the Rockefeller Foundation by then. But anyway, the, the head... Whoever it was, I might be wrong in the last part, but I know that he was taken over eventually by a, a group that already ran other uh, huge foundations. And the head of the Ford one told him, he says, our purpose, or part of our purpose, not the whole thing, right, was to change society and, and education so dramatically inside America and the West that they could eventually merge seamlessly and quite easily the system of the Soviet Union with that of the American uh, kind of free capitalist type society. And by that I don't mean the capitalists at the top that run the whole money system. I'm talking about the people in the middle classes and who ran the economies and were the managers of economies and businesses and factories and all that. So merge it seamlessly. But primarily through changing education. Well, look at it today, you know, if you haven't figured it out, it's still on the go. It wasn't banned because he mentioned it. <laughs> and they didn't uh, destroy the foundations. They continued as, as they'd done, but, but there were, some of them were more honest in what they were up to. And it was known then, it was so evident then, they were funding what appeared to be communist organizations. Well, in the 1960s, uh, you, you had people... Um, <laughs> We'll say communist, but they were blowing up places across America, mainly in New York and Washington, D.C., and you had the Weather Underground and different front names. Again, they're all names, aren't they? But uh, And again, now you've got one of the women who are now in charge, is in charge of the money coming in uh, by, again, a person I can't mention, <laughs> to fund uh, BLM, which is... Their own leaders mentioned as communists, or they're, they're, they're Marxists, trained Marxists, and so on. So, nothing was done the previous time, as I've said, and Norman Dodd talked about it, and then the old video is still out there, if you want to look it up on YouTube or somewhere. And it's, it's worth going through and listening to, because you, you, it's easy enough to speak about things of the past, but at least you have, you have, you have some visual representation of the people involved, or even an audio, then it really adds credence to it, you see. And uh, a lot of these things now are disappearing rather, in fact, in real time a lot of things are disappearing. You probably been, those who are in really into investigative work will notice that when you're on a certain, and a lot of this stuff you can't publish, you, you find. You really, it's not, it's not safe. It really isn't safe. In this day and age, in this world, it's not safe. Accidents happen all the time. The pros don't go into the streets and kill folk. Uh, the, the pros, the real pros, Make accidents happen all the time, or sudden illnesses. And I always remember James Goldsmith in Britain, who was a robber baron. You know, he was one of the robber barons during that that phase where they they were plundering businesses by by going in the back door and buying up shares and family businesses, and then destroying the businesses from within by selling off lots of the assets, seeing the stripping it, making it more efficient. But they sold off all the people and, and laid off or fired the guys who really helped keep it going. The older folk, you see, that kept it going. They knew all the ins and ropes and how things worked and so on. And mo- most of them would fall flat after they were sold off again. But he was one of them. He was a corporate raider at the time. And he belonged to some of the big clubs in London that... You'd find aristocrats uh, often would almost sell their whole fortune off or give it away and gambling debts and so on. He was part of these these particular groups, a high roller, and um, but he did come out and t- and come against the, the European Union, and he tried to. He wrote a book too, a very good book on it, and he tried to get them to pull, to pull out long before Nigel Farage came along. 
And he came over to the States and he explained in, in really good, eloquent detail why they shouldn't go into this free trade deal with uh, America, the US and Canada and, and the one that were setting up at the time with China because he says, I'll strip you of all your work. There'll be no work for anybody left at home, which is true. And your economies will eventually plummet, you know. And that's exactly where we are with service economies, you see. But it didn't matter. The, and you, he's, there was a video up there, him too, and an audio where he talks to the Senate, the U.S. Senate, who's awfully good, really well done. And uh, he put his case across very well. Didn't, he didn't fabricate anything or, or go overboard with imagination. He stated the facts as they were at the time. And it's all come true. But anyway, after, after he did all that, he, he, um, he was diagnosed with a cancer, a prostate cancer. And within a week of the diagnosis, I think, he was dead. Favorite technique to be used, actually, that. So, um, yeah, accidents happen all the time. And you can't tell the people a lot of the things that you find out anymore. I can remember back in the 90s where there were people in, in Australia uh, again, organizations, private organizations, some of them were religious. And folk immediately switch, oh, that's terrible. Well, good for you, you know, turn a blind eye. Because in the, in the business of knowledge, you can look at everything, everything. And you'll find that the people who were really acutely aware of what was happening in the U.S. and elsewhere were, were religious organizations because they had a reason to, to at least look and watch and dissect and try to put things together as to why things were happening. Most of the public and, and, and most ages um, throughout the 20th century, for instance, apart from the wars and so on, most of them um, really were fed nonsense by the, the television, both in the news and in entertainment. That's why they were just lullabied into sleep into oblivion and kept rather docile, uh, but, uh, but definitely kept ignorant of the big pictures, no doubt about it. Even the better documentaries and the better investigations uh, that were like Mike Wallace talks, where he'd ask direct questions, they, they gave you fake ones later on with with the ones like like Brokaw, Tom Brokaw and so on. They came out later. But Brokaw and other ones in the 60-minute teams were watered down almost like a, like a, I call it like a, a Wallace interview but not quite the same at all. So you'd have the, the immediately were the hard-nosed journalists when they find out. But really, the, the topics they picked were, were really trivial. When you look back at it today and where they were going with it, rather look at the big, big pictures of big organizations were altering culture purposely and so on, like the early Wallace ones were doing. But in Australia, the religious organizations... Uh, some of them had been, had worked, some of the people had worked with intelligence communities. And they had tremendous information on even Peter Trudeau of Canada <laughs> in his background. It came out verified as well. And the, and some of them too uh, were top journalists. One of them actually said that, uh, about the coming national ID system, due to some national emergency that arises before 9-11, remember, before COVID, and before the, the whole idea of pushing a national ID for everybody, or international even. And he, he said that um, some big buildings have been built across Australia and the big cities, uh, on outskirts generally, but they were actually owned by the post office, but you didn't go in there to post letters, and it wasn't a sorting office. But these, these places were actually to do with, with information gathering about the individuals. And also, they would be used eventually, eventually, for national IDs. Well, it was, it was, it was supercomputer systems that were setting up at the time. Canada did this, the same thing with, with supercreate computers, huge buildings to, to cool these, these huge computers. They can, now, I think Canada was buying about three or four, maybe up to five of them. One of them could run all of the Americas, a supercomputer. So, it's never been explained why you hadn't needed all these ones. And Australia was doing the same kind of thing. And the journalist in Australia, a well-known one, said that, it says, I get, I get um, occasional envelope dropped off, brown paper envelope dropped off on my doorstep. So uh, that's how things generally happen, or generally used to happen. Today, uh, 
I think it's been more more uh, informers because the, the ones who are watched the most are those who are most to tell you <laughs> in government or agencies and so on. Uh, that's why they're paid so much. That that generally buys their their silence, and they're quite happy with that arrangement rather than doing the decent thing and tell the general public whom they pretend to serve. But you you don't live in a in a nice, wonderful system. You, you live in a system purposely designed to keep you ignorant, uh, keep you fearful. Now, of course, that's part of it too. When you're fearful, you can't think straight. You can't make logical decisions. You'll you'll panic in the panic stage and and the overkill and the overdrive, psychic driving, repetition every day in the news with Fauci and the rest of them has been really these these characters should all be up on charges as crimes against humanity. Those who crashed economies planned it all in advance, obviously. This is a fact, they planned it all in advance. Well, you think you didn't know what would happen if you, if you closed down all industry and all, all, all economy? Well, you, you eventually have, uh, who benefits here? Well, the ones who control it all benefit. The World Bank benefits. Huh? Where do you think all the supposed money is coming from? It's all fake. It's all run by a gang of crooks. But, but, who can just make it up and put it into a computer so many, whatever number they want. Who's checking them? Nobody's checking them. And your government quite, oh, thank goodness we're getting out of so many billion this week off so-and-so. And uh, but they pay it back, mind you, off taxes. Well, you're bought and paid for. You're slaves, folks. This is part of it. You're not going to get out of this. And then keep this money racket going again forever. Well, you, you haven't paid off the debt yet. You're still paying off the debt, I think, in some countries uh, for World War One and Two. You haven't been quite finished. How can you how, see it with compound interest? You can never pay it. That's why it's designed that way. Hmm? And as you're paying it off, all these debts, they give you another crisis. Then you borrow again, yeah? and that's added to the debt and added. Now you're never ending debt. So yeah, the characters who planned all this, and who are still in the planning phase of all, because it's not as it's developing all the time, or they're catching on in this. But how can we, or, or step up the, the testing and say there's, there's thousands and millions of new cases across the planet? Well, the testing's so bogus. You know, you've already found it um, with the president. Was it was it Tanzania and uh, Africa? We tested all kinds, including fruit, and that all came back positive. Huh? By the World Health Organization lab that did the testing in his country. He kicked them all out, thank goodness. But crimes against humanity planned eh? for something really where the perpetrators, their names come up in the vaccine companies involved with them. The names come up with all the planned projections. Oh, if a, if a disease broke out, event 201, and even the one back lockstep 10 to 2010 with the Rockefeller Foundation, you know, the for the exact script of their supposed tests, step by step. And then you have the World Economic Forum, to which these giants all belong to, huh? talking about the global reset of a whole new way of living or existing and bringing in all the sustainability agendas that, that we, they couldn't get, couldn't get the public to accept through the climate change agreements. Well, here it all is. There's nothing to guess at here. There's nothing to guess at. And you'll find at the top of the medical industry, the vaccine industry, the pharma industry, with those who coordinate with governmental authorities You'll always find what? Eugenics. Eugenics is an old, old field <laughs> of not just improvement of certain species or types, you know, and selective groups, but it's also to do with eradication of other groups, folks. Well, how do you, how do you eradicate other groups? Hmm? How do you do it? Well, you help them. You help them. That's what you do. We're here to help you. Again, these foundations and charitable organizations. I would even go into all the, all the lawsuits against the foundations of, um, of Bill Gates, you know, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation with all their vaccines and, and, and strains of polio that's been created by them and spread with their, with their help, when they're helping people. It's all up there. I might put some more links up again. I'll get fed up doing it. 
and lots of other groups have, have put up the links as well. Uh, it's overwhelming evidence. Never mind the fact that he's already said on, on camera uh, that, oh, maybe 700,000 people across the world will die of the side effects of a vaccine. Well, that was okay with him, this strange character, you know. Um, who, who was not even, he doesn't even have a, have a first aid certificate, this guy. Hmm? He's just a front rich man, a front man. And he belongs to the, the big, the, the, the nickname was a lucky gene club. They talked about the need to bring down the population across the world. It has a different name, of course, now, but the, an optimum uh, population group and so on, yada, 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 whatever they call it today. But I, I did, I did a talk some eight years ago when they, when they had a meeting, they had meetings about, Oprah Winfrey was a member too, and other ones as well. And they discussed the problems across the world. Well, there's too many. This is an old idea. You've got to understand, people don't, these characters don't think like you. You, you, you turn your head so you know, nobody would do what they, that or whatever. I wouldn't do that so they wouldn't do. That's how you think. That's how you think, eh? That's how they can do these things. And they actually do these things. <laughs> because you, you refuse to believe it, even when it's happening at times. Look at the latest tests that have come out there in the, in the States. And, uh, and elsewhere too, by the way, where folk are getting paralyzed, so-called volunteers, they're paid, mind you, are getting paralyzed volunteers testing the vaccine, the vaccines out. Uh, and, and they're getting paralyzed, rushed off to hospital here. And they want to put this in you for something that, that most folk don't even get a cough with. Hmm? And as I said, the same characters who are pushing it all, the Fouches, are up to their eyeballs and, and, and conflicts of interest, not just with the companies that he advocates should get antivirals and all the rest of it too, and the vaccines makers, you know. He's also up to his eyeballs in verifiable data with supplying coronavirus from the States to the Wuhan laboratory where they did the further gain of function, made it more, you know, deadly, altered it, you see, made it more deadly, just, just to see what would happen if it ever went through a whole bunch of sequences on its own and did it by itself. This is the excuse again. This is biowarfare. Biowarfare labs are the same biolabs that they're there to help you if you haven't figured that out. That's how they got around the, uh, the, the treaties in biowarfare. Oh, we're here. Uh, okay, we're actually here now just to help people, you know. So it, it's fascinating to live through it and watch it happening. But yeah, the, the data's out there of, of who sent it, who okayed it to be sent from the U.S., the coronavirus, where they had it in a, a, a university in, in North Carolina. And the very fact, and the reasons it was getting sent over there too was because if they did gain a function to this particular virus in America and it somehow escaped, it could cause havoc. So they sent off to, to the Wuhan laboratory. Supposedly it was continued there, the same, the same kind of thing. And Fauci's got his name all over the, the thing. And then they gave him money too. He okayed the money, so many millions of dollars over for Wuhan to, to continue the research. I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up. You're looking at arch-villains. I mean, this is the stuff you'd get in a movie, wouldn't it be? About arch-villains and arch-criminals in fiction. fiction. (laughs) But it's here in real life. But that's what you better understand. Most horror on a grand scale is in real life. Absolutely. There are batteries and batteries of... Propagandists, professional propagandists that can turn the worst disasters or the most searing crimes information against anybody into lukewarm, pleasant, a pleasant summer's day, you know. Once you get finished whitewashing everything. And that's how the world works. But people really do think, yeah, the leaders are running your countries. They really believe that. Mainly in America, actually. The U.S. is a bit unique in that respect. They've got this 
They used to have the, the real, the real patriotic fervor for their nation. And every child used to have the hand over the heart and, and sing, you know, the anthem. And they believed in it then. And it was, and, this, and the country was far better on all scale levels of class systems, put that way, working, the working class too, far better than the rest of the world at the time. Had all, yeah, it wasn't perfect, but it certainly had incomes uh, for the people, you know, if you wanted it. For a time. And then it got involved in, it was taken over really. But, but, but they, they got involved in the very thing they weren't supposed to, foreign wars. They were supposed to beware and not get involved in entanglements and foreign wars. Entanglements through treaties, you see. The very thing that Britain kept falling for World War I and World War II. The games to do with, with treaties. So, well, when we have a treaty with so-and-so, so-and-so and so attacks them, uh, then we have to go to their aid. And before you know it, you've got these massive, uh, never-ending wars on the go. The balance of power structure. And how the balance of, of power structure works with the city of London. That they ran Britain and the UK and the British Empire. That's where all the decisions were made. Not just for financial gain, but by those who owned the financial systems. That's what they were about. And they had incredible knowledge of history and the balance of power. What they meant by it, you, you look at an area where there's things that you want for, for the company or the guys who own the corporations and for resources and so on. And um, so it's, it's just strategy as well, but it's also, it's not just, they use geopolitics, but this, what they'll do is that they'll look at, to get the smaller countries that are near a big dominant country. And if you want to, just say, well, we, that dominant country can afford a big navy. If not now, then eventually. And uh, they might interfere with our plans for ongoing conquest and, and of acquisitions of natural resources and properties and diamonds and gold and everything else. Yeah? And so what you do is you then start funding the small nations around them and say, well, they're victimized by the big one, you see. And you get them eventually to, to have their skirmishes and you finance them more with with little caveats and all the money you're giving them. Eh? And then you arm them and you get wars going. And you may go to their assistance if they can't manage it themselves. Uh, but if they, if they can manage it regardless, they're knocked down the big one, you see. So now that, that, that potential future enemy is gone before it starts. Then you can get into the land that he was going to control or did already, or even his own land. And also, um, but then you got the, the two little, missy two little countries that you'd propped up to fight the biggie. So then what you do then, you, you take the, the smaller one of the two, and you finance them. And then you, oh, the, 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 the human race is awful in the bigger one there. Uh, terrible, terrible. And so the propaganda is churned out again. And before you know it, uh, you're funding the small one to fight the big one. That's how you do it. Uh, and this, is, this goes on and on forever, like centuries at times. Perpetual conquest. And you always do, oh, look at what they do in that country with their, with their laws and so on. That's terrible, terrible. We don't do that anymore, and and so you so so okay, go over there and kill them all, eh? <laughs> okay, because the and people fall for this basic simplistic propaganda. Yeah? It's astonishing. When uh, <laughs> the PNAC group were running the U.S. openly under the Bush Jr. administration after nine eleven, before and after. The propaganda they turned out was just astonishingly simple for, for really, for the different levels, but mainly aimed at the, the general population. And it was rather sad to be aimed at the general population. I can remember the head of one of the education departments in the States, and who, who was in politics at the time in the States, said years ago that the average reading capability of the average American at the time was, was something like a grade five or six level. So, so all news had to be written uh, to get to, to that level of education. No, no higher. 
And no superfluous detail or, or intricacy of detail because the, the people would switch off. They couldn't comprehend it. That's what they said. I, I read the articles years ago on a radio show, live at the time. But nothing's changed, but the propaganda is the same. And so they, when they wanted to go into Iraq, they had nothing to do with 9-11, by the way. Again, that didn't matter either at the time. Then, because it was on the list before 9-11 even happened. But anyway, the, the famous PNAC list, but anyway, some of the propaganda that came out at the time, they make their women wear burqas. So that's okay. That's a reason to go and kill people, like million, about a million people, because do you, you understand? They're trying to cater to every, every radicalized group in your own country. They're hypersensitive to anything on their hyper, hypersensitized group. Uh, to, to get them on board with it too. So aim at radicalized feminism, the radical groups. Well, yeah, let's go and kill them. They make their wives wear. So let's kill them all. That, that'll solve it. Isn't, isn't that a good solution? Eh? Let's kill them all. <laughs> uh, well, unfortunately, the cluster of bombs aren't really particular in who they're killing. Men, women, or children. Burkers are not. But, uh, facts don't matter when it comes to basic propaganda. And it is basic, because it's never truthful about the real reasons for anything. That's the, that's the, the sad tragedy of it all, too. And you can go on forever with this kind of stuff, if you've read enough history, and, and even if you've lived enough history yourself, to validate it. Because most of real history that you'll get, you validate by, a, by you're alive at the time. And if you're cognizant of what's going on, then, you, you know, you, you eventually the picture will force itself upon you, whether you like, do you like it or not. That's going to show you what happened, because your your memory contains it all. That's real history, not the authorized versions. They're they're pre-written before the events happen. It's like World War Two. The Britain lived for a while on pure nostalgia of of propaganda about World War War Two. World War Two was the final nail in the coffin. It just sped up the, the death of Britain faster. Because of the money they owed from World War One, But the guff that they churned out and the old movies they churned out, like post-propaganda, post-war propaganda, and had some during the war, not so many as Americans did, but but after the war too, they had the guns of Navarone and things like that. And, uh, it, was, it was like living on, 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 some, on a glory time that really wasn't glory at all, was it, for most folk? They were living through the death knell of, of their nations, really. And uh, again, someone had sent me, it was a great disc on British propaganda from the, from the ministries, meaning the different departments of the government of Britain. Uh, all to do with rationing and how to divvy up your ration cards and how to use them wisely. You know, it's like COVID all over again, only it's to do with, uh, with food. You'll, you'll get it down the road eventually because they will bring in rationing. They want to bring in rationing. And no doubt they will. But the, they showed you the woman going into uh, the stores and the butcher shops and getting a little slice of this, got a slice of corned beef that was a week's rations, I think, one person, and, and you get so much, so many eggs a week, and that was it for protein. And um, but, but protein was hard to get of any kind at all because of the war, as you said. And how they trained the public that there's no options, I mean, they're all pulled together. And, and really all kinds of illnesses you hadn't seen since the, the, the 19th century and the 18th century all broke out again because the health started going down the tubes. They kept it so quiet from the general population. It wasn't just rickets, but they had rickets in children. Uh, because, and you'd see the bow legs even into the 50s, etc. children, um, who had lacked the, the proper, uh, Calcium, vitamin D and so on. But he also had all kinds of other illnesses that broke out of the lack of proper nourishment, food and vitamins and minerals. That's part of the price they paid for it. The elite never had a problem like that at all during it all because there was, had their own suppliers of the black market that could supply anything that they needed so there's no shortage for them. But even, as I say, the propaganda they were living on after the World War II Right up into the 60s and 70s at times uh, is rather sad. And it's so true when any nation 
resurrects a past and puts the nostalgic touch to it. There's different reasons for it. Part of it, the public, part of the reason the public like it is because during the time you're living in now is even worse. Or, or you lack more moral values today, so it's not so, if you don't feel quite so safe in your own neighborhoods and so on, even in the UK. Things like that. But a nostalgia for a time that had the impression of everything being secure, even if it wasn't really, you know. And it's the same with the, with the wars. We look back at, at, at some, we did that back then. No, we, Britain was, was, you know, Britain. <laughs> the war did not start the way it was said to start in the authorized versions that came out. So we know that now. A lot was admitted to, because you can't keep it all dead quiet. But, uh, I mean, Britain was the first to bomb Germany to get retaliatory air raids going. For those who don't know it. It's astonishing what the folk really don't know. And, and it's hard for people when you're brought up in, with the propaganda. And you, and you know all your relatives have been involved in something like that. And your, maybe your uncles or even your parents at times. And even the ones that weren't old enough to fight you, you'd, you'd hear their stories of rationing and how they all pulled together for the common good and all that. All that kind of stuff you're hearing about the COVID standard. Uh, we're on it together stuff. Um, it's sad when when information starts to come out to realise that no, you'd all been let down. You'd all been let down and used for other purposes. They had they had literally they had the the, the embryo the embryonic agreements set up before World War Two and during World War Two they're working on it for a post World War Two European Union. Meanwhile, they're telling the people to go off and fight uh, Nazism in order to, to save your culture and your way of life, uh, which was decimated after World War II. You're used and used and used, and, and it's an awful thing for people. It, they have a breakdown. It's like the death, a death of someone. You have a breakdown. You go into utter despair initially, then anger when it starts to dawn on you when someone's died, you know. Why did you leave me now, for goodness sake? You know, you know, that kind of thing. You go through all these different phases. It's the same thing. You go through a death uh, of, a, of a sort when you realize that there's no such thing as, as democracy. <laughs> and the things you stood up for, even fought and maybe other people died for, were wrong. You know, you were used. And I've got to say this, that there are many examples of the, the psychopaths giving you. Because psychopaths can be awfully honest at times. Because they're nat- by nature arrogant, you see. And sometimes they'd like to even boast about what they've done and how clever they were in, in doing it. But you'll find that Kissinger did say, and the quotes are there, you know, that the military, people, people in the military are dumb, these are his words, by the way, dumb, stupid animals who are used for foreign policy. He despised them. I remember Bill Clinton said something similar, and there was articles in the paper how Clinton despised the military too. They all despise them because they despise folk who fall for such simplistic propaganda, made up propaganda. That's part of it, I think. They despise people who, who, th- who go into these things because they feel patriotic. They despise them for their gullibility and naivety. And sometimes they show it. They'll use them. But it doesn't stop with the military. These characters affect the nations. And that's how they see all of you as well. All of you. That's why George Bush Jr., in an interview, after he was out of office for a few years, stated he was talking about getting America into U.S., into, into wars, huge wars, which they did want. And we know that from the PNAC group. He was part of the PNAC group, too, before you were in. They had a list of countries they wanted to take out. We know now why, but we don't even know they're supposed to talk about it. But Bush said that, he, says, he said, 
if the public, as I remember, he was saying to, to the interviewer, I remember saying to so-and-so, you know, if they ever find out what we've done, getting the country, I mean, all the nonsense to get the country into war. He says, if, they ever, if the public ever find out what we've done, they'll chase us down the streets with ropes in their hands. That's what, and he, and he, he laughed about it. But it was his admission, too, <laughs> of what, to extent what they had done getting America into these wars. Pre-planned wars, eh? So they, yeah, they like to boast as well. But uh, it, it doesn't change it. Psychopaths are, are pre-selected. Psychopaths can be awfully good at times in, in what they do if, if, they're, if they're into the sciences or the, or the bio-warfare labs, that type of thing. Yeah. They can be awfully good at what they do. Because generally, being a psychopath, they don't have the, the little thoughts that cross your mind. Uh, little, little, you, you, they say that they love sex above any other group because they have no inhibitions, no guilt complexes. They don't, they, they can't have anything that interferes with their ego. And guilt is something they will not, and anxiety is something that they won't just not tolerate. They won't have. They don't have it. I would crush them, destroy them if they felt anything like guilt or anxiety. They're very cool, calm characters. But you'll find them up in the, the echelons of power and in, say, the bio-warfare labs where they go to work every day and, like, like the, 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 the art, the, that shows a good article. Um, I don't know if it's a telegraph I put it out. I've mentioned it before. I've got it somewhere. A, a, a real, from the, that real newspaper. <laughs> and, uh, it was a, an interview got into, a journalist got into Porton Down, I've mentioned it before, in, in England. Porton Down, and uh, that was a big bio-warfare. Part of his, his job is bio-warfare. Um, and a lot of other research, too. It's it almost like a DARPA-type facility. And they create bio-weaponry there. And, but they also created, but worked on radar there during World War Two. And I guess who was put in charge of it at one point? It was, it was Victor Rothschild, <laughs> believe it or not. And it's been disclosed since that he gave a lot of this, this stuff for radar and other things to, other very important things to the Soviet Russia and, and, and to, to Israel eventually as well after the war. Because he was still in charge of the intelligence services. Literally he was. They put him in charge. The main, the main suspect was put in charge. Of uh, the, the, the five-tiered, layered system of, of combined intelligence agencies for Britain. Another story, but again, getting back to to Portendown, they have a, a, a bio lab there, and this, this journalist got in to listen and talk to the, to the scientists, and he's, he joined them at their their air coffee, their coffee before they started work, where they were casually talking about you know doing their gardening in the mornings, you know, and things like that, and tending the roses, etc. Things that you would say, that's, that's, and these are nice people, and maybe even kissing their wives goodbye or their children, and, and then, then they talk about what they're working, not, not in great detail and classified material, but how they're, they're working, they, oh yeah, he says, we, we, one of them says, yeah, we, we, we've got all these ethnic specific viruses, and this is back in what was the 80s maybe, maybe the 1980s. But he said, yeah, he says, we've got viruses so well designed, they can rampage through a country. Uh, they can, you can program for any age group, by the way, you know, to specifically just to attack any particular age group. But he also said they can, they can rampage themselves through a country in a week or two weeks and then, and then just die off quickly. They're, they're pre-programmed in a sense. They multiply so many times. It's just astonishing what they've done with them all. But is it really astonishing when you see the countless money Unlimited money that these organizations, these, these defense agencies get. But they talk calmly about it, as though they were talking about making uh, the best way to package margarine, you know. That's, that's how casually it was. There was nothing. Uh, you, you wouldn't, you, it, the shock comes when you realize you're, you're, you're meeting people who, who are intelligent people talking about the, the death industry. That there's no other reason for it. It's a massive death industry of silent weaponry. Yeah. Every country's got their own labs and this kind of thing. Yeah. 
And then you tie that in with, with the fact that you are shocked because you thought they were just normal, decent, you know, people. They might not even mind as neighbors to realize what they did. And they didn't go home at night and sit and fret and worry or have nightmares or as psychopath, psychopaths handle this quite well. That's the same characters they, they surround prime ministers and presidents with. And above them is higher levels that are there professionally. Do you really think someone can be appointed, say in Britain, as an example, the minister, meaning the politician appointed to be the head of the health industry for, for a term or whatever, or, or, and then moved halfway through it as a juggler, the, the musical chairs and put them in charge of, um, unemployment money or whatever happens to be or some of They know nothing, these politicians. They're not experts in any of these fields. There's a permanent staff there in civil service and civil service also has private partnerships working in with them and they've had that for as long as I can remember. Long before you heard of public-private for roads and so on and big service industries as they like to call themselves. But yeah, they have private ones. They got private ones in for the NAFTA deal for Canada. And they were pretty well put in charge of the departments in Ottawa and the government to deal with the whole negotiations. Private characters like Simon Reisman. So it goes against this whole idea. What's the whole point of voting when your, your governments are run by private individuals you don't even know exist? Never mind organizations that you don't even know exist. What's the point in having politicians who are given a script to read because they really don't understand what they're being put in charge of? And they have to give, have the head of that department and civil service always run up to them with, this is what you'll say today for this particular part of, of, of our, our future programs. Because they haven't got a clue. You wouldn't know either. But the civil service staff certainly do. And that's what they're there for. So why not just do away with the politicians and just have the heads of the civil service departments come out and dictate to us rather than the, these pathetic politicians? It's to keep the illusion going that you, that you've got a say in something. <laughs> a badly, a badly frayed and tattered uh, idea. Anyway, for myself, Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada, but I've had lots of rain recently. It's good nights. I mean, you're God or you're gods. Go with you.